everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today are, are two legends. Uh, they've uh, been on the podcast a couple times in the past. Uh, I think most, of, both of them, or at least one of them, was when we were using uh, Zoom to, to record uh, episodes. So we've upgraded to, uh, to Riverside. So thanks to Riverside for uh, letting us use this. But really excited to, to have both of you on the podcast today. We have uh, Michael Gorton, who is the founder and former CEO of Teladoc and now founder and CEO of Recuro Health, and uh, Dr. Jay Sanders, who if, unless you ask him, is widely considered the, the father of, uh, of telemedicine. So uh, thank you both for being here today. It's always a pleasure, Jared. I'm really excited to have you both here today. You don't need introductions. They'll be able to see you. So let's dig right in. I, I had the opportunity to see both of you in San Antonio and uh, picked up a copy of your book. And as I was telling you before the call, I read it cover to cover. Uh, on the plane ride back, you painted some great pictures. You painted some scary stuff, but you both are are okay, so that's what matters. Within your book, there's a lot of good uh, stories, right? They paint vivid pictures. What I'd like to ask both of you is to kind of give us a teaser of your favorite story uh, that you wrote about within the book. We'll start with Michael, and then we'll go over to Dr. Sanders. All right. So I'm going to start with naivete, because in the beginning, I did not know how big the resistance was going to be. And so um, the, a, a, one of my founding uh, advisors was a doctor named Boltinghouse, who Jay knows. And I called, I called Dr. Boltinghouse and I said, Teladoc is working. We need to go see the Texas Board of Medical Examiners and tell them what we're doing. And he goes, no, you don't. And I go, yeah, we do. And he goes, no, the board calls you and it's when you're in trouble. And so I said, no, we're going to go. So I went and, and um, with all the passion I could muster, I told them how we were going to change healthcare. And they looked at me and they said, Mr. Gordon, if you build this company, we will send you to prison. And my co-founder, Dr. Brooks, they looked at him and they said, we'll take your medical license and then you'll go to prison. <laughs> so that was the beginning of uh, the resistance. <laughs> and now, now for you, Dr. Sanders would love to hear your, and I do remember that story pretty, uh, it, it just, it's really crazy hearing those type of stories too, when we're reading through it, because when you, when you look back and hear, and you see today how, you know, how widespread telemedicine is, and they were trying to go after you, uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible. So, We'll, we'll kick it over now to, to you, Dr. Sanders. We'd love to hear your favorite story within the book. Well, if I'm allowed, uh, there are actually two. Um, but I'll, I'll speed up my speaking so it'll sound like just one. First, it was 1991 when I met Governor Miller, uh, Zell Miller, uh, of the, who was then governor of Georgia, who told me the reason he wanted telemedicine was um, to bring improve the economics of rural Georgia. Uh, he said most people don't realize that the rural hospital in Georgia represents the major economic uh, infrastructure for most rural communities. They're the biggest employers in the rural communities. And the rural hospitals were closing fundamentally because they didn't have access to specialists. And he saw telemedicine as bringing the specialists to the rural hospitals, increasing the bed census, and therefore stabilizing the hospital and therefore stabilizing the economic base of Georgia. That started everything, basically, in the United States. 
uh, in terms of telemedicine. And then the second, perhaps the most significant teachable moment is we had, developed, had gotten a grant from the federal government, it was called an earmark um, in those days, uh, because I wanted to see how I could keep patients from ending up um, in a hospital ER by seeing them perhaps a couple of weeks before they ended up in the ER to, find, to try and abort um, that downhill process. And the minute I saw my first patient, and what was the technology we used in those days? Um, this was 1995. We used the home TV. The first patient I saw, I realized that, my God, the most important exam room was where the patient lived, not where the doctor worked. And of course, today, the umbilical cord of that concept is really the remote patient monitoring, um, which has occurred and which will, I think, be the baseline for most medical care um, as we move forward. I, I had I had a lot of favorite stories in there, and I don't want to give it away, but it's it, it probably is is a you know a, a mix of what you both were mentioning, and then just it's just it's just so wild because like I only ever saw the telemedicine structure like most people of where we're at today, right? Where I can go on my phone right now. Even Amazon now has it. So, um, and to think. The, the lengths, this is all I'll say, the lengths that the boards would go to try to, you know, uh, make it so that Teladoc couldn't, you know, continue doing what they're doing was, uh, was those type of stories were really interesting. Um, I'm glad everything, you know, eventually worked out. But uh, again, really love the book, really excited for, for everyone to, to experience it. Um, what I would like to do is shift focus to you know, the, the later parts of the book where you start describing, and this goes to what you're working on today, right, uh, Michael, the, the digital medical home. Can you, can you define what that term was? I know you had a, uh, I think a trademark on it at one point, and then you were telling me you decided to like, uh, like go without it, like talk us through that and then give us that definition. And then let's talk about the future a little bit on the show today. Well, um, John Halsey actually created the term digital medical home. And, uh, you know, to me, it is, as Dr. Sanders said, number one, do the encounter where the patient is, but also take the medical record and have it go wherever the patient goes. And in, to some degrees, that's just the medical data that the Dr. Sanders of the world would put into that medical record. There's a lot more that we can do now. And this is where Jay and I have a, a great time talking about. Um, he'll tell the story about uh, putting the swig on the arm and getting blood pressure. But I think about all the different places we can capture data. And then once it's captured, analyze it with AI and notify physicians or patients um, if there's anomalies. And so, you know, this is the digital medical home then. We start with Dr. Sanders, um, treat the patient wherever they are, and then make their medical home in the cloud, follow the patient wherever the patient goes. And, and this must be, you know, really cool for you to, to, to talk about Dr. Sanders and then obviously work with Michael to help, you know, make this a realization. Um, to think where you started with TV monitors to 
wearable devices now. Um, you know, tell us what excites you so much about this, you know, digital medical home of the future. Well, um, sort of um, taking along the string that I just mentioned about what we found out in 1995 that um, the best exam room is really where the patient lives, not where the doctor works, um, is the fundamental reality that um, we've got to convince the patient that they are the primary care practitioner, um, not the doctor. The doctor is there um, to patch things up, but um, the person that's responsible for their health has to be that particular individual. So number one, um, we shift from the primary care physician being the physician to the primary care physician being the patient. That's number one. And now, number two, we have to provide them the technological means um, to do that. Um, perhaps the first thing is to electrify their fork, um, <laughs> to put their fork down and um, lose some weight. But fundamentally, I actually see, and this may be moving a little too far ahead, I actually see companies like Alarm.com and ADT beginning to put in the sensors that Michael was talking about in terms of being able to constantly assess um, their physiological status, putting it in their homes. Um, they're having wearables, um, whether it's um, a watch, uh, whether it's a belt, whether it's a t-shirt like Armour now has for the athletes. Um, any type of sensor that is constantly assessing their physiological status and only quotes goes off or sets an alarm when they go outside what their normative values should be. Now, that may sound strange to people, but fundamentally, think of the fact that we have a system like that in place already, but not in the home. It's in our car. Every time we get in our car and we push the ignition button, what happens? The dashboard lights up. We know everything about that car. Well, we're going to have the same, quotes, ignition button in the home of the future. And it's going to be the home builders who put it in, working with the alarm.coms and the ADTs and the other alarm companies um, that will provide that medical dashboard in the home um, to let the patient know that they're going outside their normative limit, limits. It's, uh, it, it's been really interesting to, uh, you know, to see where, where we've kind of gone with, with home care today, right, over the last couple of years especially. And a lot of people will notice um, you know, there, there has been even some non-traditional, like obviously um, the, the new wearable devices are great. The scales, the watches, um, it, it, or even, you know, there's the Apple was talking about, I think recently getting a patent or trying to do the glucose monitoring without actually having to, you know, um, uh, I think like do the, the prick that they usually do. Um, and then you also see now every conference you go to, uh, Best Buy has a huge booth on home care and what they're doing in the space. So 
Uh, I think everyone's taking notice about this digital medical home that you describe and where we're heading with it. That's the first time I've heard about uh, the, you know, what alarm companies and things should be doing. So that's really interesting that you brought that up, but it makes, it makes a ton of sense, right? Like who's already in the home and some or outside of the home. So they know the people in the home, right? So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Talk, talk us through uh, as a last question before we wrap up here today, what barriers still exist that you would like to see maybe get broken down a bit? I think there's some, there's still some technology things that we need to, um, to work on. The great news is from a data perspective, there's a new data structure called fire that um, is going to allow us to make complex things very simple. You know, one of the things that we think about all the time is um, labs require you to go somewhere and get a blood draw or some kind of sample. And when we think about, is it going to be possible for us to use the data from your Apple watch or a scale in your bathroom or the equipment in, in Jay's car to capture data and use that data as a precursor to diagnosis. And, you know, we, <clears throat> we're all accustomed to being able to sit at our computer and say, I want to see the data look like this. So now imagine a doctor can sit at a computer and say, I want to see your pulse rate at 7 a.m. every day for the last two weeks. And it's not going to be numbers. It's going to be a graph. I want to see your blood pressure um, averaged over the last year. I want to see your oxygen, blood oxygen level. And so when the doctor has that tool, what is he going to be able to diagnose? A tremendous amount of things that may replace labs um, largely because we'll be able to start seeing the body is reacting to something that's going on inside and pulse rates are changing and blood pressures are changing and oxygen levels are changing. And, and we are going to start seeing that change everything. So the question is, will the medical community allow us to use data like that as a precursor to diagnosis. Will the big lab companies resist us? Will the boards of medical examiners say, you're gonna to go to prison again? Well, we didn't go last time, but this time you will go to prison. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, the, I, I think we're gonna see a fair amount of resistance as we continue to fix things. And, um, you know, Jay's and my mom, not the same woman, but both of them are probably proud of us now that we're disruptors. Although when we were kids, disruption was a bad thing. <laughs> well, I, I actually see, um, I'm not as pessimistic about um, the resistance because I think there's going to be um, an, an economic um, tsunami that is going to get rid of um, the resistance. And I want to go back to something that Michael said at the beginning, and that is bringing, bringing AI, uh, for instance, um, into the home. Um, I think the complete medical record that is integrated uh, into uh, an AI uh, program, combined with um, the genetic analysis and the epigenetic information that companies like Recuro Health uh, are are looking at will um, significantly help to um, 
I don't want to use the word program, but to motivate um, the individual. But I think the major motivating factor, um, plain and simple, uh, and as crass as this sounds, will be money. Um, and what do I mean by that? I see the insurance companies, the health insurance companies, uh, saying to the individual, listen, um, if you um, use this technology uh, and you follow this particular plan that has been laid out for you by the AI program um, that knows all of your physiological uh, parameters and knows your genetics and knows the environment in which you live um, and suggests that you do X, Y, and Z, um, if you do that, we're going to charge your um, health insurance much less than what your neighbor uh, has. I also think that um, you will see um, the same thing in hospital uh, systems um, who will have their health insurance companies um, say this. I also think you'll see malpractice companies saying to physicians, listen, if you um, encourage this type of uh, technology uh, with your patients, we will lower your medical malpractice uh, insurance. So I think there will be drivers other than um, morality and motivation. Um, I, think that, I think there will be economic drivers that will move this into the home. Well, I'm really excited to see what you two continue to do uh, in, in this space. And thank you again so much for writing this book. Uh, everyone should definitely go check it out. Uh, and this is not just because you guys are on it. Like, I, I love the book. I read it. I read a lot, by the way. Uh, I, I usually uh, do like a book a week. So the fact that um, I read yours in one sitting, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great book. You guys did a great job. Appreciate you sharing your knowledge with all of us as always. And I uh, can't wait to see the digital medical home continue to come into uh, existence. We're already seeing it today. And uh, until next time, thank you both. Let, can, I, can I say one more thing before we wrap? Because I think this is really, this is really critical. Because you started with, we were all in San Antonio. And um, something truly amazing happened in San Antonio. Um, uh, the American Telemedicine Association gave Jay a very well-deserved Lifetime Achievement Award. And my favorite part of that whole weekend was when the entire crowd stood up and gave a standing ovation. It just went on and on and on. And they just stood there at the microphone waiting to talk as everybody was clapping. Um, you know, it was, uh, it, it was a truly remarkable moment. And uh, Jared, it was great to have you sitting right there with us at that, at that event. It, it was great to, to be there. I told, I told him I wanted him with the, the bottle they gave him and the trophy and doing like, you know, the Michael Jordan shrug when we came on, but he wouldn't do it. <laughs> Don't let anybody know, but Michael had a hand in that. So I, you know, it, it took it took years of uh, Johnny Appleseed, i.e. Jay Sanders, to make that happen. Thank you. I love it. I, I, I don't think there's a better point we could end on right there. Johnny Appleseed, love it. <laughs> uh, great chatting with both of you, as always. Can't wait to do it again. 